Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Spiritual Conversations with your host, Drake Miller. I am once again so thankful to be back. I'm sure y'all probably think that some part of just my intro that I say it every week, but I really am so thankful every week that I get to come back to you. We get to continue the conversation on whatever we've been talking about for that series or for those episodes. I truly do hope that you have had such a blessed weekend and blessed week. It has finally gotten to nice weather. I actually went out to one of my favorite parks here near Athens and read a great book. Um, I told y'all that I would keep y'all updated on, on different books I'm reading. So I'm currently working on Traveling Lightly by Max Licato. It is a wonderful book. I just started it and he really does such a great job of breaking down Psalms 23 in a way that is compelling and challenging for us to get this message out to as many people as possible, but also encourages us as believers and helps us in our walk of really realizing who the Lord is and what he provides through David's writing of that 23rd Psalm. So I encourage you throughout your next week, pick up, a, pick up a copy of that book. If you can start reading it, I know it will help you. I hope that, that no matter if you've been able to read anything, if you have been able to do anything extracurricularly, because I know we're all busy right now, I hope you have had a great past few days. Certainly, I hope you've been in the presence of God somewhere. Um, we have had such moves of God, such wonderful times with friends, and and really getting to get closer to the Lord. I know if you're with us in the Georgia district, I know our women just went to Hades Conference. I heard great things down there. They always have wonderful times with each other and times with the Lord. So to all of my uh, listeners out there who might could have gone, I hope you did. And, and wherever you were at, I hope you've been able to enjoy times with your friends and your family. Um, as always, that is going to be something that I include because I do believe people need people and we all need each other. This is such a time for community and time for fa family and friends. This is not the time for the Lone Ranger. My friend, you can't do it by yourself. You need people. So get a good group. Go do something. Go spend time with, with people. You need it. So in that, I am going to jump right in today as we continue our series and answering the question, what makes the difference? And if you are a new listener or maybe you passed one of the few episodes up in your past few weeks, you've missed it. Um, I want to first say thank you. Thank you genuinely um, for listening. And I'm so glad that you have tuned in today in the middle of your busy day, busy schedule, work schedule, school schedule, whatever it may be. I'm so glad you're here listening. And I'll recap a little bit of what we've been discussing so that everyone is up to speed, but I do encourage you to go back and catch some of those previous episodes of what makes 
a difference if you haven't been able to to stay here right with us. So the question, what makes the difference, was inspired by a discussion in my art history class, of all places, when my professor actually said the difference between the early Christians of Rome and the other pagan religions we've talked about is baptism. And then she made a comment similar to that, saying that the difference was the Messiah. And both of these are true, considering that no other religion nor the entire civilized world at the time of ancient Rome had a phrase which described a supernatural entity or abstraction becoming matter. But in the word of God, you'll find, and the word became flesh, thus denoting that God Almighty robed himself in flesh, coming as the Messiah or Savior to this world and reconciling the world into himself. And the idea of immersion baptism is also foreign to any other religion other than Jews and Christians. So really, these two things do make the difference. And and that comment from my professor really launched me into thinking, what really does make the difference? And so that's what inspired this whole series. And I started out talking first about the love of God is what makes the difference. And then I talked about the Messiah. And I went on to then talk about repentance. And and our key scripture here for, for really this whole series is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we see that all of this scripture testifies to a beautiful story of God's love and act of love. When you break it down, you see, for God so loved. And my friend, God does love. My God loves, and he loves unconditionally. He doesn't just command. He doesn't just hide behind a veil of commands and, and, and tapestries. But he loves. He's a personal savior. And for God so loved the world, my God loves all. He has a love-all spirit about him. As I've said before, red, yellow, black, and white, we're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. He loves all. And for God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave all. He held nothing back. He gave all for all. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This begotten son, whom we have talked about over the past few weeks, is the Lord of all. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. He is the lamb for sinners slain, and he was slain before the foundations of the world. He came so that you and I might have life, and life more abundantly through his death, his burial, and resurrection. And and last week, we started a mini-series on the last part of that verse, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is when we see why he came. He came, yes, because he loves us, for sure. He came, yes, because he wanted to cast out the prince of this world, being Satan. But he came, my friend, for this most foundational reason, that you and I might believe in him 
and should not perish, but have everlasting life. This whole word of God we read and I reference was written. This entire love story was recorded that we might believe that Jesus, the Messiah, is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we might have life through his name. And last week, we discussed what this believing on him looks like, as it does require some explanation, lest we fall into that school of thought that suggests that all you must do is believe. Because, friend, even devils tremble and believe. So there must be more. And so we went last week all the way from Christ's resurrection and ascension to the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost fell, and Peter, during his message, said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And that plan of repentance and baptism and being filled with the Holy Ghost was exemplified by Christ through his death, which represents repentance, and burial, which is baptism, and resurrection, which was through the Holy Ghost. And this plan was given by Peter. And this plan is the only way to Christ. It is the plan of salvation for the church age. That's why it was given at the birth of the church in Acts. And so last week we explored the repent part. And I now want to take us through the be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins part of Peter's phrase. Just as repentance is foundational, as it is something which was commanded in the Old Testament, preached by John and Jesus, exemplified by Christ, and once again commanded by Peter, so was in all those cases baptism. Now, baptism can be found being alluded to as early as Noah's flood in Genesis. We know that Paul, when writing to the church in Corinth, compares Israel's crossing of the Red Sea to baptism, thus saying they were baptized into the law of Moses, when he said, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And we know we can find baptism plainly exemplified in the tabernacle plan, according to Moses in that once the priest had sacrificed at the brazen altar of repentance, they had to wash themselves hand and foot at the labor of water, thus representing baptism. And Isaiah, one of my favorite prophets, wrote this to Israel, Wash you and make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, and plead for the widow. They were commanded to be washed. And as for the New Testament, we start by hearing John preach it. Then we hear Jesus preach it, and we see it repeated all through the book of Acts, which is the book of the church. And, and you may ask, Drake, what is baptism? And what is baptism for? Because just with repentance, baptism is something we're told to do. So we jump in the water without much understanding, 
When in fact, in the New Testament, it was after those listening had heard the gospel and felt pricked in their heart that they responded asking to be baptized or being told they needed to be baptized and immediately followed, they found water. So I'm just here to help you who may be wondering to feel assured about baptism, and I'm here to help those of us who have already obeyed the plan of salvation to understand maybe baptism more for ourselves and also be able to help others understand it as well. So baptism in the English, the Hebrew, and Greek dictionary, which is our language, the being English, Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, and Greek, the language of the New. All of these languages suggest the same thing about baptism. It means to wash, to rinse, or to be washed, and it is a token of purification from sin and from spiritual pollution in our life. And it's actually seen as a rebirth, putting away the old man and raising as a new, purified, justified being. So while it is a confession of your faith and clearly states your devotion to God, it is much more than just a public confession. It is a necessary step in salvation because without it, your past has not yet been remissed or canceled. That is why it says be baptized for the remissions of sins. Baptism is for the canceling and washing away of sins. That's what remission means. So. One thing I've commonly said is this, repentance breaks the chains of sin on your life and baptism takes the chains away. It washes all of those chains away. And I know many of us may be saying, yes, I hear you, but scripture says those who believeth on him should not perish. And didn't Paul write, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? And my answer to all those questions would simply be, Yes, but building a doctrine off of one scripture, especially a doctrine of salvation off of a scripture written to the church, as was the book of Romans, where you find the commonly used scripture, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Building a doctrine for salvation off of that is a very dangerous thing without understanding what Paul actually meant. So let me show you how the teaching of baptism being absolutely necessary and being a part of the plan of salvation does not contradict, but yet confirm both of those scriptures I just referenced. And I'm going to show us all the necessity of baptism and baptism in Jesus' name. So in order to learn of baptism, I've chosen for us to hear from the gospel writer of Mark. Opening up his book, we find these words. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before that high face which shall prepare the way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John, who was this messenger and was sent of God, did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. 
and John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locust and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So just from the first few scriptures of Mark's writings, he talks of John the Baptist who preached a baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. And this was a total immersion washing, representing the washing away of sins. And he did this to prepare the people for the Messiah, who is Christ, to come and redeem them in a way which John could not. And he did this to open up the way for them to receive the Holy Ghost, which is the Spirit and the power of God. This means baptism started early in the Gospels and was a way to prepare those in that day to receive the Holy Ghost. And really, such as it is today, repent first, as we talked about, then be baptized for the washing away of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, being baptized in it by the Lord himself. This was and is the message. And then later on, Mark records the same action being exemplified by Christ. When it says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So the scripture demonstrates two things. First, Jesus Christ was baptized in water before being baptized unto death, speaking of the cross, to, to give us a perfect and plain example of what we are to do. I heard a man say one time, if Christ must do it, then who are we to believe we are exempt? And second, as we know the dove represents the Holy Spirit, he demonstrated that when baptism is performed, the Spirit will be involved. And through understanding, we can apply that to our day. And this is why some, but not all, after being baptized, will come out of the water being filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Because in essence, the dove descended. And it was in this moment the Father spoke and said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And as we said before, that story has immediate significance to Jesus, but it can be applied to our life through understanding so that we know it is only when we have repented and been baptized into his death and raised up by the Holy Ghost that we walk in newness of life, thus taking on the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's only when we've been baptized that we have taken the next step into being in the kingdom of heaven. Friend, plainly, if we intend on hearing the Father say at the judgment, This is my child in whom I am well pleased, we must be baptized. My friend, all I'm saying to you today is, baptism makes a difference. And in order to demonstrate my next point, I'm going to call for the assistance of another gospel writer by the name of John 
who recorded a conversation between Jesus Christ and a man named Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered, knowing what was the true intent of Nicodemus, and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. Now, many times we try to justify this scripture or or break down this scripture by saying that the born of water phrase is natural birth, and the born of spirit phrase is one Jesus was focusing on. And for this, let's take a step back. Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the law, would have known of John's teaching of baptism or immersion in water for the remissions of sin, and was more interested in catching a flaw in Christ's doctrine when he asked those questions than he was about thinking that you actually had to enter in the mother's womb. He knew that. He was a very educated man. So Christ, in return, acknowledged what was in Nicodemus's heart, which was an interest in baptism. And he said, you must be both born of water or washed in water for the remissions of sins and born of the Spirit. For only these two together constitute a complete new birth in the kingdom of heaven. And to further talk on this, Christ said, what is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. Basically saying, we are all born physically. That's obvious. And, and all men have done that. If you're alive, you were born. But what all men haven't done yet has been born of water for the remissions of sin, born of spirit for the endowment of power. That was the message of Christ to Nicodemus. So surely Jesus commented on the immersion of water and Holy Ghost baptism in that moment. And after preaching this to Nicodemus, which was a private encounter, we find out that at the end of our friend's Mark's gospel, he records some of Christ's most compelling words concerning baptism as he commissioned his disciples and those around him before he ascended into heaven, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And with this, we get the most clear teaching on baptism. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. This word for baptized it's the same used to denote the teaching of John, who taught baptism in water for remissions of sins, and it alludes to the baptism of the, of the Holy Ghost, which Jesus Christ brought to the world through his death, resurrection, 
and ascension. And the scripture answers the question about, doesn't scripture say those who believe on him shall not perish? Belief according to Christ is different than belief according to this world. When Christ made the statement about he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned, he made a differentiation between the two different forms of belief or the two different definitions of belief, that which Christ gives and that which the world gives. In the first part of the scripture, he says, as I just quoted, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And we know what the word baptize alludes to. We've been talking about that. But the word for belief there is the same one found in John 3.16, which tells us that whosoever believeth shall not perish. And it means to have faith and believe, unsurprisingly. And it is a word which means to, in addition to having faith and believing, to have absolute faith in Christ and being absolutely persuaded of his gospel and the power to change your life. And Jesus here uses it to state that true belief includes action. True belief, true persuasion of Jesus Christ and his gospel is to repent first and directly, as Christ said, be baptized both in water and in spirit. And, then the, and thus in doing those things, you will be saved. And in the second part of that scripture, he says what happens to someone who b believeth not. And that word for belief is actually different than the one used in the first part of that scripture. And it's one that suggests being untrustworthy or not putting complete faith in something or someone. So what Christ said was this, he that believeth and is baptized, meaning he who is truly and absolutely persuaded of my gospel enough to partake of it in repentance and baptism shall be saved. But he that believeth not, or he who is not completely persuaded of my gospel, but may simply claim a form of godliness, but denying the power of the gospel shall be damned. Friend, I simply say unto you today, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I not just ask, but I compel you today, be baptized. And why? Because when you have repented and been born again of water and of spirit, you have truly called upon the name of the Lord. For all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, without doing a lengthy exegesis on the scripture uh, found in Romans 10, in the Old Testament, before baptism for remissions of sins was preached, and certainly before the Holy Ghost fell, the phrase calling upon the name of the Lord was associated with building an altar and offering a sacrifice unto God, thus repenting and calling unto God for help, praising Him, or otherwise communing with God in some way. 
And in the New Testament, we see this phrase associated with complete salvation and rebirth, specifically water baptism and soon thereafter spirit baptism. This phrase was first used in Peter's address at Pentecost when he, quoting Joel, a minor prophet in the Bible, said, And it shall come to pass, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Paul, who wrote that scripture in Romans, used this phrase when compelling his listeners to do as he has done when he called upon the name of the Lord. He said, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. We call upon the name of the Lord by not tarrying, but after hearing the gospel, repenting, and according to Paul, being baptized, washing away our sins, thus calling upon the name of the Lord. And I want to say, I realize that this episode may be a little bit longer than I typically like, but bear with me. Um, I have one more point on, on baptism that I really need to cover. We've covered many points about baptism, how it came to pass, who taught it, and how it stands two testaments, not just one. But you may ask, okay, Drake, I understand that it's required. I get that. But how do you do it? Well, the actual word for, for baptism in many of these instances means immersion by water. So it must be total immersion, save some health issue in which there is pastoral and medical guidance. But for most, it is total body immersion because it is likened to when Jesus Christ was totally buried. So we must also be totally buried in water. And the water flowed from his side, as discussed a few weeks ago, so this could be done. We must be physically totally immersed in water laying down the old man, and coming up anew. And many of you may also ask, does it have to be done in a numerical order? Does everyone always receive the Holy Ghost after being baptized, or can it happen another way around? Um, to the question about does it have to be in a numerical order, no. Uh, and in fact, I can show you that in Scripture. Looking at Acts 10, when Peter preached and the Gentiles received the Holy Ghost, which we will break down next week, it says this, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should, should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed them him to tarry certain days. These men, after receiving the Holy Ghost, were baptized in the name of the Lord. This shows that salvation is not simply a numbered list that it must be done particularly in that order. It, it, it doesn't show that. Re repentance comes first. Now that is standard. Re repentance is foundational. It comes first. However, as seen in this passage, there is a variation in the order of the other two. 
However, while this does show that you can be baptized in water first, then receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, other times the Holy Ghost will fall with the evidence of speaking in tongues, then you can be water baptized. This demonstrates a simple truth. Both are needed. Whether you are filled with the Holy Ghost first, then water baptized, or water baptized first, then filled with the Holy Ghost, both are needed. And I want to draw out something that it says, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. This last scripture brings me to my final point. We must be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew, we find another rendition of of Jesus Christ's commission to his disciples. He said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. This word baptized is the same word we have seen in all other instances, thus confirming the same doctrinal message. And he said to do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And what is that name? The name is Jesus Christ. Jesus never said his name in in Scripture while he was here. He confirmed it, but he never self-identified. Jesus Christ was more interested in revealing himself than he was naming himself. And in this scripture, he revealed himself as as being the Father and being the Son and being the Holy Ghost. This confirmed him as the one Lord and that his name is the one with all power in heaven and earth. And in John, he taught, saying, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, we must ask all things, salvation, healing, protection, whatever we're asking for in the name of Jesus. And this instruction is given explicitly in Acts 2, when Peter said, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins. And after that, you find every time someone was baptized in the book of Acts, including the scripture earlier that I referenced, they are all baptized in the name of the Lord. So if you're wondering today, should I get baptized? Is it necessary? I say unto you, you that believe that there is one God, you do well. But friend... The devils also believe and tremble. If you have repented, if you've changed your mind about repentance itself, changed your mind about yourself and Christ, I'm so, so happy. I join with heaven in rejoicing over one sinner that has come to repentance. But, friend, there's more. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children, and all them who are afar off, as many 
as the Lord our God shall call. And he's calling you. You've heard the gospel. You've heard about his death, his burial, his resurrection, that he came so that you might have life and life more abundantly. You've heard of the promise that he's given of the Holy Ghost that fell on the day of Pentecost. So who can forbid you water? Be baptized. And if you've already done these things, if you've already been baptized, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Friend, if you've been baptized, if you've received the gift of the Holy Ghost, being baptized by the Spirit, walk in newness of life. Put that old man behind you, it's already dead, and walk in the life that God has for you. I hope this has helped you today. I know it was a little bit longer than normal, and I do like to keep it to a digestible amount, but I really wanted to cover some of these parts which I felt were crucial for our, for our understanding. I hope you're blessed today, this week, and always. I hope you have peace and joy. If you have a home church, I pray you and your church are blessed this week. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you and your church would see a great revival of souls, seeing people come to an altar of repentance, seeing people be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ, and see people filled with the Holy Ghost. I hope you see that. And if you don't have a home church, we would love to see you at Restoration Apostolic Church, 110 Moores Grove Road, Winterville, Georgia. I would love for you to be my guest. I promise you getting in the presence of God will do you nothing but good. And if you don't have a home church, but and you don't live near here, reach out to me. I would love to help you get plugged in to living this life for God. It's the best life going. I would love to help you with that. Students, if you need help finding a college ministry, I know we're getting close to the end of the semester, but I'll still help you so that next year you're geared up and ready to go. I would be glad to help you with anything please reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Spiritual Conversations or drake.miller22. That's my personal account. And you can always email me at spiritualconversations.drake at gmail.com. And thank you for listening every week. Thank you so much. And until next time, when we talk about the Holy Ghost, thank you and be blessed.